0: Good morning, good morning on this Thursday, the 17th of November. This is hour two of Mornings with Carmen. If you missed the first hour, you can always go back and listen to it at myfaithradio.com or download the Faith Radio app and then it'll be available to you all the time, anywhere. Um, Hey, we also post show notes and that's where you can get all the links to um, the news headlines that we discuss here and contact information for each and every one of our guests Uh, And so um, you can you can do that if you subscribe to the podcast wherever you, you know, wherever you get your podcast. Yep. It's uh, it's in the show notes as well at myfaithradio.com. All right. So a couple of headlines here. Republicans have officially won control of the U.S. House, but it's going to be a wow really divided uh, House of Representatives and a divided um, legislature as uh, Democrats have retained control of the U.S. Senate. Um, There is apparently an Adderall shortage in the U.S. and the, uh, and the shortage is leading to all kinds of um, attempts to use things other than Adderall. Um, And so I just, that's just one of those things I think to be aware of. Um, And um, let's see, as I As I kind of scroll through the headlines here, what else catches my attention? All right, this one from the New York Times. And, you know, as soon as I say that, some of you are rolling your eyes. Sometimes, um, you know, it takes mainstream media um, some time to catch up with the truth. I don't really know why that is, but that seems to be the case. And so I think that when mainstream media um, does catch up with the truth, we ought to recognize it and we ought to acknowledge it and we frankly ought to applaud it. So, the New York Times um has published a very lengthy piece um on puberty blockers and you say, "Oh, really?" Well, here is what's important about this. Um they are now acknowledging that, you know, maybe there's a problem here. And so you don't just look at the um the headline uh because headlines are written by headline writers not by uh the the journalists who actually write the articles. But the headline here is, they paused puberty, but is there a cost? Then the subhead. Puberty blockers can ease transgender youth's anguish and buy some time to weigh options, but concerns are growing about long-term physical effects and other consequences. Now, if you're saying to yourself, you know what? It, you know, the the long-term effects of uh, of disrupting the natural process of growth of a human being, like those are going to be bad. Like you didn't really have to do a longitudinal study to figure that out. But you know, this is again, this is not, we have to resist the temptation. and, And I think I probably will say this to myself a number of times. We have to resist the temptation to close our eyes and shake our heads from side to side and say, I told you so, but this seems like so obvious that this is not healthy. It's not healthy to disrupt the natural progression of a body's development by uh, chemically um, stopping uh, the process of puberty. Um, It's also not healthy to remove healthy sexual organs through all kinds of butcherous surgeries. All right. So this investigative report matters because not only is it in the New York Times it's written by a couple of investigative journalists who are known for the quality of their work and their willingness to take on subjects that others regard as frankly like socially uh, untouchable um and it's in the New York Times and so uh it's not in um you know a a a publication or a publication service um that some in the culture would dismiss. You can't really dismiss the New York Times and you can't dismiss these uh, these particular journalists. So in the article, they acknowledge that concerns are growing about long-term physical effects and other consequences of prescribing puberty, blo- puberty blockers to children as young as eight years old. Um, they also cite cases where um, children who have been prescribed puberty blockers have now developed osteoporosis um, and, you know, things that are usually not seen in adults until their fifties or sixties or seventies are now present in teenagers. Um, and, uh, a 15 year old girl two years after, um, starting puberty blockers, um, found to have lost as much as 15% of her bone density. Yeah. The the long-term consequences of this are, you know, not, not only are these people being rendered infertile, like that's notable. Um, there's also um, honesty in this article about uh, the, the fact that most, quote, trans-identifying children um, ultimately grow out of it. It's a transient phase. But the numbers in this article are pretty shocking um, in terms of the rise of, um, of those diagnosing gender dysphoria among the children in the United States of America. So as of a report shared by ABC News in October— The number of children ages 6 to 17 diagnosed with gender dysphoria in the United States rose by 70 percent year over year, 2020 to 2021. And the rate of those on puberty blocking medications and hormone treatments doubled from 2017 to 2021. So where there's a growing marketplace, there are going to be a growing number of people seeking to make money on all of this. And there are now more than 300 clinics and medical offices in the United States that actively provide, quote, hormonal interventions to minors. Again, again, even though the American College of Pediatricians says there's no actual evidence that this type of treatment is safe for children um, or that it's uh, that it's long term helpful. In fact, quite the contrary it stresses there's currently no scientific support that gender corrective treatments reduce any of the risks associated with gender dysphoria so um so there you go uh the new york times is reporting on it abc is reporting on it um and again we 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 want to not gloat about the fact that um eventually people come around to the reality of the truth we simply want to acknowledge um the truth and say Thank God people are coming around to it. All right. Next up, we're going to talk with Chelsea Sobolik from Lifeline Children's Services. She's the senior director of policy and advocacy at Lifeline. Um, we, we initially uh, were planning to talk about adoption, um, her own adoption and adopting a child. But now that the Senate has taken a critical vote to codify same-sex marriage, we're also going to talk with Chelsea about that. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: So speak life, speak life to the deadest, darkest night. Speak life, speak life when the sun won't shine and you don't know why.
0: Chelsea Zabulak is joining us now from Lifeline Children's Services, where she serves as a senior director of policy and advocacy. Chelsea, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. So you and I've been talking um over a number of years and uh and so um to return to a conversation today about same-sex marriage and um marriage equality or the defense of marriage like this is a conversation that we could have had over time that would have looked different at different points um, along our political experience. Today, we arrive at a really critical point in the conversation. And I know that um, Lifeline Children's Services has some input and some concerns related to this. So can you, can you tell us how you guys are responding to this Senate vote, uh, moving the codification of same-sex marriage forward in the United States?
1: Absolutely, so yesterday the Senate um took a procedural vote on um the so called respect for Marriage act um to advance it. so there's still a final there will still be a final vote, but uh the the culture vote uh to to break the filibuster did happen, and uh they passed the sixty vote threshold so you know uh there were 12 Republicans that voted in favor of it. And some of the statements released talked about, they felt like there were sufficient uh, religious liberty protections. Um, and we are strongly opposed to the bill for kind of three main reasons. Number one, uh, we are a faith based organization and fundamentally believe like the scriptures tell us that marriage is between one woman, one man for life. Um, and, Number two, we actually do think that the religious liberty protections that are in the bill are woefully inadequate um, to protect not only uh, religious institutions and faith-based institutions, but almost more importantly, uh, religious individuals um, serving in the public square and people um, who have objections to to affirming uh, same-sex marriage. Um, And number three, um, one of our our biggest and deepest concerns is the impact that this bill is going to have on vulnerable children. One of the reasons that marriage was legalized in the United States in the first place, uh, heterosexual marriage was legalized in the first place, was for the protection of children. And so we have huge concerns for how this bill is going to ultimately um, impact our vulnerable children. And, you know, we saw a big Supreme court case this summer, the Dobbs case. Um, And November is national adoption month and Congress should be passing bills that protect children um, and advance their flourishing rather than passing legislation like this. That's ultimately going to harm children.
0: Yeah, it's really helpful. I appreciated the, um, the letter that um, Herbie Newell uh, the president and executive director of Lifeline children's services sent to Congress back in September on this on this topic and uh, appreciate your tweeting that out you guys can um, can find Chelsea on Twitter and, and and this resource as well she tweets uh, at. Well, do you tweet at Well, I was I guess I could should send him to Lifeline Child. Go to the Twitter feed of Lifeline Child yeah, um for this information cuz yeah, guess that would that would probably work the best. Um Chelsea, um when we come back, I want to talk about um this month I want to talk about adoption in general. I'd love for you to um you know, share like you have so many now threads to pull in uh, in the adoption narrative. So, um maybe we'll pull on some of those um in a moment. Would that be okay? Absolutely. All right. We're talking with Chelsea uh, Sobolik. I used to know her as Chelsea Patterson, so I always like stumble over the fact that, yeah, I know we all have new names. And um, and how do we come by some of those new names? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at Radio. Dot com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners. Well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. I'm going home. Continuing our conversation with Chelsea Zabolik, you can find her on Twitter at ChelsPat. You can also uh, find her and tons of resources related to our conversation today at lifelinechild.org. Um, Chelsea, you um, you have an adoption story of your own, and another adoption story is developing in your family as well. Can you, can you just... I mean, I think that sometimes personalizing it helps people understand... Um, why adoption matters, um, you know, because you give adoption a face.
1: Absolutely. So I joined my family through adoption, as did uh, my five siblings. We were all adopted internationally. Um, Myself and my brother were adopted from Romania as uh, babies. And then I have four siblings from Russia. I also have a cousin who was adopted from Ukraine. So that part of the world is uh, very near and dear to our heart. But growing up, adoption was very normal for us because that's how our entire family was built. Um, And I I had a very positive experience with adoption. I know everyone's story is different, but I had a, I had a good experience. Um, That doesn't mean that there is not loss involved in adoption because even if an adoption occurs very little, you know, when a baby is very little, there's still a break in the natural order order of the family. Um, But I have worked in child welfare public policy for almost a decade now. And my husband and I are in the process of our own adoption journey. We are adopting a little boy from India. So we were just matched uh, last month and we're uh, doing all the paperwork and necessary steps to be able to go and bring them home.
0: I love that, and congratulations! And we're going to pray God's favor on that process. We know it's we know it's complicated. When you think about the advocacy in this, um, you know, in this space, um, it's it's advocacy for children. It's advocacy for families that desire to um, have children added to them. It's also a recognition that, you know, as you know, there are people who for whatever reason cannot raise their own children. Um, And I just, I just talk a little bit about the spirit and theology of adoption, particularly among those of us who are Christians. We
1: see God's care for vulnerable people, especially um, the orphan all throughout both the old and the new testament um you know in the book of psalms we see that god sets the lonely in families and then um you know the the clearest example is probably in romans 8 where we learn about our spiritual adoption and then in james um we are given the commandment uh to care for widows and orphans so it, it uh this commandment to care for the vulnerable spans the entire bible also, I don't think uh, that the the call to care for widows and orphans is optional. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that everyone needs to adopt or foster, uh, but I view it like the Great Commission, where we are all called to go and make disciples, and that looks different in each one of our lives. Um, as is the commandment to call or to care for for vulnerable children, and that can look like adopting or fostering. Um, I hope and pray more people do step into that. But that can also look like volunteering your time, giving up of your treasure, uh, praying. There's so many different avenues that people can can get involved in, caring for vulnerable children um, and also their families. Um, one of the things I love about Lifeline so much is the church is at the center of all of our programming because we want to get people connected um, to a local body of believers to have that support system, um, and to have, um, not only practical needs met, but also, uh, the good news of the gospel.
0: When, um, when you think about what an adoptive family needs, so, you know, you and your husband are going through this process. Um, you know, I, I think we all know it's expensive. Like, I, I just think we all know that inherently, um, but that's not the only, like, hurdle or, um, or challenge. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Like, what, what goes on in the process and how could, you know, how could those of us on the outside of the process support those who are currently actively engaged in, you know, that it's a long process and it's complicated. So just maybe some touch points for those of us who are not in the process, how we can support those who are.
1: Such a good question. So there are uh, three ways to adopt internationally, which is what we're doing, domestic private adoption, and then adopting through foster care. So each each one of those options will look slightly different. Uh, but overall, um, you know, financial support is huge. I will say to listeners, I know when we entered the process, finances was my Biggest worry, I, we didn't have $40,000 laying around. Mm-hmm. And that has been the area that God has blessed us so abundantly. People have given, there's grants available. So if if someone's listening and that, that is a fear of theirs, um, I would say to step out in faith, uh, whether that's to give to adoptive families or or um, to trust God in that process, but then there's also an emotional component. Um, it is it is different to build your family through adoption, um, and so checking in on on people and asking how they're doing. Um, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, but with adoption, it also takes a village to bring them home. Um, and one of the things that has meant so much to um, my husband and I is people. Regularly, you know, checking in and asking how we're doing. But then also, um, one of the things that is so vital for us as we're going to parent um, a child from a, a hard place is trauma-informed care. And mm-hmm. friends and family who um, have taken steps to read books or to learn more about um, what trauma-informed care is um, and why that matters to building our family through adoption—that has meant so much. Um, and then prayer. we have had so many people partner with us in prayer, and I truly cannot emphasize um, there have been seasons where we are just exhausted and weary and discouraged. And when someone reaches out and says, "Hey, I'm praying for you, this it it can change everything. So we are I think those are some very practical ways to come alongside uh, adoptive families.
0: Chelsea, remind us of your husband's first name? His name's Michael can we um can we pray for the two of you in this process? Oh, I would love that. Thank you father we um we lift up Chelsea and Michael, and we lift up this little boy, um, who's in India right now, but who is eventually coming to be their son, and we thank you for the way that you build families, and we thank you for the way you've knit us through adoption in Christ into your family. We thank you that we are children of God. And Father, we ask for Chelsea and for Michael and for their son, your favor, your protection, all of the resources that are necessary, and for the community of believers into which you're going to enfold them, and for the Christians who are going to be able to say, yes, we will come alongside them and we will encourage him as he grows in every way, that one day he might too profess you as, um, as his Father in heaven. Um, thank you, Father, for the opportunities that we have to, to talk about hard things and to walk in challenging circumstances in the full confidence that you are a God who cares and loves and redeems. In Jesus' name, amen. Chelsea, thank, thank you, you so, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to um, walking with you as your adoption journey unfolds. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Chelsea Chelsea Sibolik. You can find her at lifelinechild.org. She tweets at Chels Pat, because she used to be Chelsea Patterson. Chels Pat. Yes. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio, and we'll be right back. uh final jeopardy i mean i could actually go on and on about final jeopardy like you know what's the question you're going to be asked at final jeopardy all right well so sometimes final jeopardy on like at the actual show jeopardy is just worth hmm raising your eyebrows and taking note of and asking yourself huh could i answer that i feel like as a christian i should know the answer to this question <laughs> so here's the final jeopardy question uh which letter in the New Testament and by Paul, which letter in the New Testament written by Paul um, has the most Old Testament quotations? So, I mean, you know, it's, it's framed as a, uh, yeah. Paul's letter to them is the New Testament epistle with the most Old Testament quotations. That's the, uh, that's the, yeah. Do you know what it is? Yeah. I'll tell you in a moment. Um, up next, Hannah Anderson is going to join us. We're going to talk about Advent, heaven and nature sing 25 Advent reflections to bring joy to the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen the Birds. This is Faith Radio. Noel, 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 Noel. All right, joining us now, Hannah Anderson. We're going to talk about Advent. Advent is almost upon us as a season. We're going to talk about Hannah's new book, Heaven and Nature Sing, 25 Advent Reflections to Bring Joy to the World. Hannah, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you. So um, it's not too early, right, to sing joy to the world, the Lord has come?
2: It isn't. And in fact, it's one of the first hymns of this season that you can begin to sing because it's actually an Advent hymn. It was actually written for the weeks before Christmas. So the sooner we sing it, the better, actually. I like that. So when you think of this, um, when you think of this song and you think
0: of um, the earth receiving her king. So we're going to talk about um, how earthy things, earthly things and earthy things declare Uh, the goodness and the glory of
2: God. Can Can you invite us into that a little bit? Absolutely. So some of my favorite passages of Scripture are the passages that tell us that the earth is celebrating the glory of God. You know, listeners might know Psalm 19 that says the heavens declare the glory of God, or Job 12 tells us to ask the animals and ask the beasts, and they will tell us that the Lord has made this. Um, and so there's this theme in the scripture that tells us that the earth is witness to who God is and the work he's doing in the world. But I think in our, our distracted, busy age, we sometimes forget to stop and just listen to what the earth might be saying. And uh, for me, I live in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia and we live in a somewhat rural community so for us to be able to stop and hear the testimony of creation is a huge part of our spiritual formation and um i just wanted to invite readers into that especially at christmas time and the Advent season, because this is the time we celebrate God coming into creation as a baby. This is the time we celebrate the incarnation and earth receiving her king as the song goes.
0: So again, we're talking with uh, Hannah Anderson. The book is Heaven and Nature Sing, 25 Advent Reflections to Bring Joy to the World. Um, when When you just think about what God does— Um, as the creator coming to his creation in human form. And you think about just all of the physical, earthy, earthly things related to that. I mean, part of what you're capturing in this book is, um, I think, you know, the the bodily reality of all of it, the swaddling bands and how they reveal the glory um, of God. Can, can you take us into a couple yeah. of the, um, I mean, just like a couple of like the, yeah, absolutely. I don't know, even like the sticky parts, right? Like, talk with us about so,
2: that. So one of the things I wanted to do in this book was pull forward the elements of the nativity story that we might overlook that have mm-hmm. particularly to do with the earth. Um, Or particularly to do with our physical bodies to kind of take our faith and make it really, really gritty and earthy Mm -hmm. and say, you know, it's a really miraculous thing to believe that God came as a baby in a mother's womb. And what would that mean to think through that cycle of development? Um, You know, we often see images of babies inside the womb um, in utero, and we see this kind of formation. And to think that God humbled himself to come into Mary's womb to be born, I mean, that'll just blow your mind alone. But then within the nativity story, there's all these other elements of, of God coming to his creation in in um, you know, in the incarnation, even something as simple as um, Jesus being placed in a manger, and and we often think of that as a signal of his poverty and his humility, and it is. But there's also this subtle signal that he was coming um, to care for the animals. He was coming um, the same way that Adam was entrusted with the stewardship of the animals in Genesis two. The second Adam comes, and he meets his creation. Even um, he meets us as human beings, but he comes to restore um, far as the curse is found, as the hymn goes. That that there's something cosmic happening um, at Christmas time, and we're being invited into celebration of that um, along with the entire earth. All right, I'm going to invite you to tell the story um, <clears throat> of your grandmother
0: and the serpent because mm. I. I am now Grandma Carmen, and we live on a farm. And um, I have uh, I have had to have I have responded to the challenge <clears throat> of um, all kinds of critters, and some of them I have been required to dispatch without the companionship of uh, of a brave person who would
2: kill it, kill it again, Charles, kill it again. <laughs> Yeah, so this is one of the stories <laughs> I grew up with. Um, my grandmother, my my dad's mom, really taught me a lot about uh, living close to the earth. She grew up in the mountains on a farm. She's one of 10 children. And one of the stories that got passed down uh, was that she and her brothers were out making hay. This would probably have been in the 30s. And, um, you know, in a hay field, there's lots of critters. And they mm-hmm. get stirred up. And at one point, Somehow a, a snake got on a pitchful of hay and got a little too close to my grandma, and she she called for her brothers to kill it, and they did. But she wasn't satisfied, so she she yelled at them to kill it again, kill it again. And I remember this story because my grandma was probably the <laughs> bravest person I know. But something about the snake, something about snakes, just set her off. And I think you know that's a pretty common. Um, you know, reservation that a lot of us have, but I kind of trace that in the book to um, the very first expression of the serpent in Genesis 3. And what's curious about that to me in relationship to Christmas is that the promise of Christmas was given not to people first, but given to the serpent first. And it was given as a threat and a promise both that the serpent who had deceived and brought this curse on the earth would one day meet his doom in uh, the form of the promised son who would come and, and do away with all the deceit and all the curse that had come. But what's so beautiful about this is our God is a God who sets things right, who, who confronts the evil, but he also redeems. Because later on in the scripture, we see the image of the serpent being um, somewhat restored Uh, We see the the idea of the serpent being lifted up in the story of the brazen serpent as um, a source of healing. And then ultimately in Isaiah, when all things are made right, when creation is at peace, the child can play on the serpent's den because the king is reigning over his creation and he has reconciled all things to himself and to each other. So that really struck me when I was researching that um, the first being to be given the promise of Christmas was the snake. And it was also kind of a a threat as well. No
0: question about it. We're talking with Hannah Anderson. We're talking about her Advent devotional, Heaven and Nature Sing. Um, All creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption. All creation right now groans with eager longing for man's redemption. We're going to talk about Advent not only as something that has happened, but as something that is promised to yet happen. What is the second Advent, and how is that all connected with this conversation? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in in ways that honor Jesus? Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at myfaithradio.com.
1: And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And
0: heaven and heaven and nature sing. All right, we're continuing our conversation with Hannah Anderson. Uh, She is, among other things, the author of Heaven and Nature Sing. We're talking about 25 Advent reflections to bring joy to the world. You can connect with Hannah online at sometimesalight.com dot com sometimes um Hannah let's talk about not only the advent we have experienced right Jesus inhabiting human flesh being born to Mary in a particular uh place at a particular time in human history like it is a it is a fact it happened it's a historical event and yet we still need Jesus like we need Jesus so desperately and we. Um, cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Can you help us connect the first advent with the promised second coming?
2: Absolutely, one of the beautiful things about the season of Advent, those four weeks before Christmas, is that it's actually operating on two layers. There's the experience that a lot of us have, where it's kind of leading us into Christmas, that that we're longing and we're waiting and we're hoping uh, for the sun to come on Christmas Day and the baby is born and we celebrate and everything erupts in joy. But what? Uh, Advent is also inviting us into is kind of the longing and the waiting for the second coming of Christ. And so it's actually doing two things at the same time. Um, it, It historically starts the Christian calendar year, the liturgical year. And so we're beginning our entry into our practices with this recognition and acknowledgement of, oh, we need a savior. We need a savior to come who came physically in the flesh and died on the cross and was raised again, but we need his return. And we're living in this space right now of what some theologians call the already, not yet, where he's already come and the work of redemption has begun, but it's not yet completed. And so we exist in this moment where we need to be able to say to each other and to ourselves and to God, Oh, we long for the full final redemption of Christ coming again to reign um, as king over creation, so Advent is really inviting us into both of those things, even though we we kind of practice it right before Christmas um coming up into the fulfillment of his first coming
0: so uh Hannah, we have uh listeners text in during the show um and For those of you listening, if you don't know that, you can text in, particularly all of you now texting in about Jeopardy last night, apparently, Uh, 877-933-2484. The question is, this Hannah Anderson with a picture of um, Humble Roots? And so, yes, I have texted back, yes, this Hannah Anderson, same one. Um, You guys can connect with Hannah uh, and all of her resources at sometimesalight.com. Um, Hannah, when you when you hear people uh, who, you know, like have read something that you've written and they like this picture of this book, let me just tell you, their their copy of Humble Roots is kind of worn out. Like you can tell they have folded the they have have folded that book back upon itself a number of times. Um, You know, just as an author, like, I don't know what, what how does that how does that feel and how do you respond to that?
2: Well, I'll tell you, Carmen, I'm still surprised every time it happens. I am surprised that I have been given the vocation of writing. I am surprised that people read what I write. I am surprised by God's grace to to take what for me is often me just trying to work out my own questions and to see God make it fruitful in other people's lives. And I'll tell you, Humble Roots probably was the one that surprised me the most that that folks really um, found that God was using in their life. And it's part of the reason why I started writing more directly toward questions about nature and creation Mm -hmm. and how God uh, reveals himself in the creation because readers had such a positive, enthusiastic response to that book. Um, And part of it was we kind of focused on botanical imagery within it to teach about, um, you know, humility and the rootedness we have in Christ. So I'm as surprised as anyone else. I'll be the first to admit that. I am grateful and humbled um, by God inviting me into this vocation and really just grateful and humbled that folks read along with me.
0: So uh one of the things that you'll wanna know um about this individual is first of all, it's a man and he comes from an unbelieving or has many people in his family who are unbelievers and I just know that from our um prior interactions um on the text line. And so just just know that you're you're really genuinely ministering to people's hearts and where they are in um you know, in real life and dealing with all kinds of of issues and so I just wanted to share that and, and thank you for it as we talk about your most recent book again we're talking with Hannah Anderson the book is heaven and nature sing 25 advent reflections to bring joy to the world um let's talk about b- being joy bringers like right we receive we receive this one who um, you know, answers our desire for hope and in whom we have faith and who really does bring us joy and offers us peace. Those are the themes you're going to move through in this um, Advent devotional with with Hannah Anderson, hope, faith, joy, and peace. Talk with us then also, Hannah, about how we kind of in turn become the joy
2: bringers. Mm. That's such an important um conversation right now in this season, particularly because sometimes um, we can have this expectation of joy and not really feel it. And so Mm -hmm. there's this tension where we know that we should be experiencing this joy to the world that we claim, but maybe it's a little bit difficult in this season. Maybe we've lost someone, maybe the busyness is just overwhelming us. And so not only are we struggling to experience that joy, then we feel guilt on top of it because we're not experiencing it. And one of the things that Advent has taught me is that joy is a byproduct of the hope that we have in Christ. It is not something that we can just work up in ourselves. It's not something that we can um, produce because we know we're supposed to. It actually comes when we recognize how broken we are, when we long for his kingdom, when we give ourselves permission to lament, and then we turn our eyes to the hope that's in Christ. And the, the subsequent result is joy. So the joy comes through a process of acknowledging our true condition of turning our eyes to Christ and then um, being overwhelmed by the hope and the joy that we then can take out into the world. So I think sometimes as Christians, maybe we want to shortcut that process, but what what our neighbors need, what our friends need is actually for us to go through that process as well. So that when we turn our eyes to Jesus, Joy will come. And then that's the joy and the hope we can deliver um, to the folks around us.
0: All right, Hannah, final Jeopardy question. Paul's letter to them, Paul's letter to them is the New Testament epistle with the most Old Testament quotations. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you it's a trick question.
2: Yes. So I would have said Romans. And
0: you um, would have they- been right. Mm-hmm. You would have been right. Mm -hmm. apparently they gave credit mm, to the person who answered with the with hebrews mm, well i don't i don't know of any contemporary scholars who would say paul wrote hebrews
2: mm, Yeah, yeah i've heard other other options paul isn't often among them but um you know they do their best right
0: all right. Um. Apparently, I just learned that we have books to give away. So I don't know. All mm. of you that were just waiting, you were waiting, particularly Reed, you were waiting for me to say, hey, we have books to give away. Hey, we have books to give away. Um. I've got copies of Heaven and Nature Sing, 25 Advent Reflections to Bring Joy to the World. Text the word give. Yes, the text line's working again today. Text the word give. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Paul's saying text the word book. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, you should give too, but text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. I got all discombobulated there with the final Jeopardy question. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. What a delight! Heaven and nature sing twenty-five Advent reflections to bring joy to the world. Thank you, Hannah. Sorry for, you know, messing up the end of the conversation, but
2: there you go. Oh, no, no messing up. So, Thanks for having me,
0: Carmen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, we're going to um, revisit the final Jeopardy question here in a moment. But right now, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We do have copies of Heaven and Nature Sing to give away. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaVerge. This is Faith Radio. Well, my goodness, what a wonderful opportunity today to talk about the, uh, the New Testament of the Bible, the epistles in the New Testament of the Bible, Paul's letters as New Testament epistles in the Bible, Old Testament quotes that appear in the New Testament epistles of the Bible. Yes, all because of a controversy raised last night in final jeopardy. All right, the question was, Paul's letter to them is the New Testament epistle with the most Old Testament quotations. I think the right answer is Romans. They gave credit to the person who said Hebrews. Hebrews actually does have more Old Testament quotes than does Romans, but I would contend Paul didn't write Hebrews. Paul certainly wrote Romans. Here's the fun you can have today. Talk about the Old Testament quotations that appear in Hebrews or appear in Romans. Talk about the New Testament epistles and why we should be reading them and your favorite ones and your favorite quotes. And talk about the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is an easy day to get God back into the conversation. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.